Lord, thank you that you promise that your word will never return to you empty. And so we pray that as we chew on it and we hear it and we think about it now, we pray that it would accomplish what you purpose in our hearts. Help us to see something more of the hope that you have for us as your people. And we pray that that hope would keep us going. In Jesus' name. Amen. In, in biblical terms, this year, 2020, has been, I think, what I would call a dark kind of a year, because in biblical terms, darkness comes with two angles. It comes from two sides. There's the kind of darkness of um, sin, of suffering, of hardship, of difficulty, frustration that no doubt many of us have felt this last year. But also in, in terms of the darkness revealing something of, of what we're like. Darkness this last year has been seen the way that we've reacted and responded to some of these hardships. It's revealed that our hearts are dark as well. It's revealed our sin and our struggles, some of the things that we've seen about ourselves. So there's a kind of darkness like that, a sort of ethical or moral or evil darkness. But also there's a, in biblical terms, there's a darkness too in terms of foolish and ignorance. It's, it's not knowing the answer to a situation or a predicament. We're, we're in the dark, we might say. We're in the dark as to how this will all sort itself out. And so our God's people in, in Isaiah's time were in darkness too. They were in a kind of spiritual darkness. Um, there was very little by way of any sort of spiritual light. We saw that actually in passing last week. They would, they would go through the motions. They would head to the temple each week. But, but scarily, God didn't want to hear from them. He didn't want to hear from them because of their lack of justice, because of the way they treated each other, because... Because really their hearts were far from him. And yet the darkness in Isaiah's time and the darkness in our passage this morning is even more than that. Have a look down at verse one, the passage that Michelle read for us. Um, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Do you see why it's dark here? It's, it's dark in part because God made it dark. Their experience of life is dark because that's the way God wants it. They have turned their backs on him. And so he disciplined his people. He used other nations to train them, to bring them back to himself. Now, if your geography is not up to up scratch, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali were the northernmost regions in Israel. And and really, they were despised by the rest of God's people because they had interbred with the Assyrians. They had disobeyed God and intermarried. They hadn't kept their distinctiveness. And so like a loving parent, God has disciplined his children to teach them and to bring them back to himself. God won't let his people simply just go on in sin. But he will help them and his judgment, his anger is not eternal. So he's quick to love them, quick to forgive them when they turn back. He will graciously come to them. He will honour Galilee of the Gentiles. The, the morning sun has risen. It's a new dawn. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so this future kingdom is prophesied. Here is Isaiah on tiptoes with binoculars pressed against his face, painting a picture for us of what this glorious kingdom will look like. Friends, it's beautiful. Because into the darkness, 
into their darkness, into our darkness, will come light. Have a look with me at what this kingdom um, will be like. Um, two points really this morning. First one, the kingdom we long for. And there are a number of aspects to this kingdom that he outlines. Um, the first one is simply that it's going to be that the nation will enlarge. Again, remember, they are no doubt feeling tiny. Little, little um, Judah in the south, where Isaiah is ministering. Two little tribes overshadowed by the Assyrians in the north. The Assyrians have just defeated the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. It's just a little two in the south. They feel like a little minnow with this huge shark circling and waiting and looming large over them, ready to pounce, ready to snap. And frankly, beginning to doubt, beginning to doubt whether perhaps their God is the God. Maybe they're feeling overwhelmed by the pantheon of, of better divine options. You seem to have more territory. You seem to be more able to deal with attackers and yet he promises that the kingdom will enlarge and if they can believe that then it's a promise secondly that ought to bring them joy because verse three continues you see it will be a place of joy you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder this doesn't seem like a roller coaster joy, the up one minute and down the next. And it's not a joy dependent upon um, minute circumstances. But rather, it's a joy that is steadfast and it's certain and it is settled. And did you spot why that was? I think the root of it there, the third line down in our Bibles, they rejoice before you. You see, he is the cause of their joy. God is the root of their joy. It's not so much a joy in the gifts, although their enlarged kingdom and their victories are good, but rather it seems to be a joy in the giver as they stand before him. As they recognise and remember his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness to them. There's a, there's a relationship there, a closeness and intimacy even. God's people before him, which makes them a joyful nation. And this picture of joy that he paints is of people um, who are there at a generous harvest or they're victorious in battle. They are they are plentifully provided for and they are perfectly protected. They stand before their maker, enjoying the gifts that he's given as they enjoy him. And so his nation will be full of joy. As well as joy is going to be freedom. That's the third one. God seems to have secured a freedom for his people, which again sounds frankly extraordinary because remember the situation. Remember their eyes on the north, captured by the Assyrians, never to return. And yet his promise to the faithful in the south is no longer will they be oppressed or taken captive, no longer fearful of finding themselves in exile. They are a people who are to be free, to be liberated from the forces above them. The forces that have held them captive. And he describes that as being talking about Midian's defeat. You see that in one sense, Midian's defeat is 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 the example of God's faithfulness to his people in this kind of a context. Do you remember Midian? It's a story um, from Judges chapter seven. And there we read the account of, of Gideon. Do you remember his victory over the Midianites? I wonder if you remember it. How does God start the battle? 
Judges 7 and verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, this is extraordinary, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And so he, he shrinks and he shrinks and he shrinks Gideon's army. And he ends up with 300 men, I think, versus well, 135,000 Midianites, something like that. Completely outnumbered. No chance. It's never going to happen. And yet you see the point. It's the same God who's speaking through Isaiah, who's making a promise to his people. And just as God gave Gideon victory when they looked completely outnumbered, when they were the ultimate underdog, and he brought them freedom and he was faithful. Or so God will bring victory for this tiny remnant. It's as if he's saying to them, guys, don't get so obsessed with the stats. Don't get caught up with how small you are and how massive they are, because. Because you've got God on your side. You're going to be OK. I've made you a promise. You can trust me. Don't worry about how tiny you are or how big they look. Look at him. Look at his track record. Trust him. Your kingdom will be enlarged and you will be joyful and you will be free. But more than that, it's going to be a place of peace, too. We saw it last week and we've just seen it with Jill and some Lego men as well. There will be no more war. There'll be no more battles, no more conflict, no more bloodshed. You see how he puts it? Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. There's going to be no more need for battle clothes anymore. We had weapons last week turned into farming equipment. Now it's the battle clothes we're getting rid of. It's, it's a lovely image, isn't it? OK, guys, we're going to have a, uh, a bonfire this evening. Great. Uh, and we'd like everybody to bring something to contribute to a huge bonfire. It's going to be amazing. OK, so if you could bring with you any of your your battle gear, please. We're going to be burning that this evening. Right. People start asking questions. Um, we're not going to be needing them anymore. Um, boots and clothes and all of it, really. Um, we're going to be burning that. We won't be needing them. Are you are you sure about that? Not worth uh, not worth popping them in storage just in case something comes up, just in case there are some more enemies coming from overseas or no, no, there'll be no more need because there'll be no more enemies. There's only going to be peace, not just a temporary ceasefire. This will be peace forever. And so if you could pop them on the fire, please, that'd be great. Sounds extraordinary, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. Can you imagine that? No more war, no more battles, no more death. Isn't that the kind of place you long for? Isn't that the sort of place your heart yearns for? A place of rest, a place of safety. A place where you know you are secure and you are protected. We said it last week, but just imagine you turn on your BBC News app or you go to the whatever news website you use or your 10 o'clock news or whatever it is. And it's only ever good news. Never bad news, no war, no death, no strife, no pandemics, no stabbings, no stockpiling, 
no exploitation, no inequality, no darkness. Do you believe it? Do you believe that one day God will bring a kingdom like that? Of course, the thing is, the thing is, when I make my promises or you make your promises, so that we can make them and we don't always keep them, do we? We are fickle. We are unreliable. We are imperfect. Our situations change. Our emotions change. Our priorities change. But we can trust God. And when we read extraordinary, amazing passages like this, that there are niggles there, aren't they? Is this really something I can believe? And yet remember, this is God. He can't not keep his promise. He can't go back on his word. And when we read verses like this and we're, we're so excited, but we're not quite ready to let our hearts go there or to really trust that this will happen because we know that people have made us promises and they let us down. And remember who he is. And he's the kind of one who, who makes promises and he keeps them. And so you see something of this kingdom that we long for. It's beautiful. The thing about kingdoms, though, is they need kings. And the thing about amazing kingdoms is they need amazing kings. And so as well as the kingdom we long for, firstly, secondly, we have the king that we long for the rest of the passage. Let me read verses six and seven again. Um, I guess familiar verses for us at Christmas time and the danger with familiarity is that we just kind of skim over. Let me read them again though. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Maybe, maybe they don't quite pack the punch they ought to because we are too familiar. But this, I think, will be the ultimate source of light. He will be where the light in the darkness comes from. And so this kingdom will no longer be in the dark. He will be the one with great wisdom and wonderful counsel. He will be the one who, who thirsts and hungers for peace. He will be the one who upholds this kingdom with integrity and with righteousness. He will be the one who will not be swayed by the pressures and the thought processes of this world. He will be the light in the darkness. Don't you find that refreshing? I think too often in our day we, we struggle to trust those in leadership because more often than not they have teams who are actually experts in PR and bluster and marketing rather than perhaps wisdom and integrity. Or too often perhaps their words can more, more seem to be empty or selfish or false or unreliable or deflecting a question 
rather than being trustworthy. And yet here we have the kind of king that we dream of. Who could be a king like that? Well, verse seven gives us the clue. Gives us a clue because his throne will be an eternal throne. And he will reign with true justice and righteousness. And his government will always be completely godly and completely upright. And so this this king will be a human figure. He will be a son of David. He will be, to Samuel 7, the answer to that promise, one who will rule over David's throne forever. He will be human. But then the jaw-dropping, mind-blowing, head-scratching thing is that this perfect human king is to be God himself as well. And we can't get away from that. He will be fully man and fully God. There in verse six, he's to be called mighty God, everlasting father. He's a king who is both human and divine. He's, He's the son who is like his father. And it's a surprise for us, but in maybe one sense, it oughtn't be a surprise. You see, if we read back into the earlier books of the Bible, God's people were never meant to have a human king. The original pattern at the beginning of the Bible was that there would be what's called a theocracy. That is God ruling over his people. God was their king. And the only reason really they end up with human kings was because God's people saw the neighbouring nations having kings and they wanted one too. God as their king was not enough. They were supposed to be distinctive and different. They were supposed to listen to him and he was to be their king. And yet they wanted to be like the surrounding godless nations with a king over them, a human king. And so God gives them what they want. He gives them a human king over them. The king ruling over them, representing God to the people. And and some did okay, and some were average and some were pretty poor. But if we dare to imagine a king who is both human and divine, who is both man and God, we we end up with one who is able to rule perfectly, who is able to establish and uphold justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We find a king who is light in a dark world. And so onto the stage walks Jesus. Listen to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 15. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king announcing his kingdom. And so the king begins to preach. The God man come to rule. The the wait from Isaiah chapter nine onwards is over because here is Jesus walking onto the stage of human history. And he's come to change the world. He's come to bring light into the darkness. But, you know, he doesn't do it with fireworks. He doesn't do it with pomp and ceremony. He doesn't do it with a big show, but rather 
What's the first thing he said? Just verses later from that verse in Matthew chapter 4, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you see this wonderful king from Isaiah 9 is born? He is the one who will be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. On his shoulders, the eternal government will rest. His reign has begun. But perhaps it's not quite the reign we were expecting. He will change the world. But actually, he'll change the world through the everyday transformed lives of his people. People like you, people like me. And we think this, this one is the answer to their problems. This is the light in the darkness. This is the new kingdom. He wasn't born in a clean palace. He wasn't given the best food. He didn't have doctors and midwives helping at his birth. He, he was laid in an animal food trough, born in poverty. And yet he is the Prince of Peace. He is mighty God. He brings the light that we need. And friends, that in some senses is the paradox of Christmas. Thing is, we think we are an enlightened bunch, don't we, in the 21st century? Actually, we saw this in Magdalen Road Advent devotional a couple of weeks ago. We're still in the dark. First, modernity was found wanting. We sought to free ourselves from the shackles of religion, thinking we're grown ups. We're going to move on from the so-called dark ages, move away from God. And yet, yet humanity still ends up confused. All kinds of conflicting truth claims, all kinds of muddle, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of mess. Who's right? Whose account do you go with if we've got all kinds of difficult, all kinds of truths? competing with each other and then post-modernity comes in and says there's not just one way you be true to yourself you be you you tell it as you want you tell your story of the way things are for you and I'll do the same but then again how do we know who's right more darkness because if we're all right then none of us really is right if in your story you win and in my story I win, then who actually wins? What's real? What's true? And we're still in the dark. Not something of the darkness and confusion we see around us today on all kinds of issues. But then Jesus comes along and just turns on the light for us. One who comes from outside the system, who comes into the system and he can see clearly and he is pure. Into the darkness comes light. As we saw last week, there's a sense in which, again, the light has come. John will tell us that at the start of his gospel, that Jesus has come as the light. There's a sense in which we are the light because... We reflect him. We point others to him. We're not to put our, our lamps under bushels. We're, we're to be out in the open. We're to show people something of what he is like. And yet there is more light to come too. the Bible would say. It's the mountains again. We're halfway up. We're not at the peak. The world is still dark. There's still difficulty. There's still mess. 
And yet there is more light to come. We have a hope to come. And so Revelation 21 verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Or Revelation 22 verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is our future. That is John peeking ahead and saying, keep going, friends. The world is is still dark. But Jesus has come and you are to be the light of the world and there is light to come. And I wonder again this year. Whether it's been too easy to dwell upon the darkness to dwell upon all that is wrong with the world, indeed all that is wrong with us, to to get lost in the shadows of a difficult year. Perhaps the darkness has felt like it's looming, perhaps it's been hard for you to remember the light. Perhaps the darkness of the year, the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of not knowing how we're gonna get out of it, And so we can so easily miss the reality of the light that we do have in Christ and the light that we are to be to others and indeed the hope of the light to come. And so I say this to myself, I say it to you, friends, brothers and sisters, lift up your eyes. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. The light of Christ has dawned. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the kind of God who makes and keeps promises. We thank you that you promise a kingdom to come. We see that in part now, but we will see it fully then. We thank you that you promise a king who will return. Lord, thank you for the light that we have in Christ. Thank you for the light that we are to be to those around us. And thank you for the light that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Help us, please, to keep our our heads and our hearts fixed upon that light. Guard us from dwelling in the darkness. Help us to trust the promises that you make. And we thank you for the hope to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.